0: Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardy. Hello, Bardy. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and someone who doesn't believe everything he sees on TV, it's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> Hello, Indy. First up, we need to announce the winner of the Pleaties shirt. So we worked with Pleaties, who very kindly sent us all uh, lovely custom-made shirts from their website, Pleaties.com. P-L-E-A-T-E-E-S.com. Also look at, look at them on Instagram for some shots of the shirts. The winner is Dan Mahoney. Thank you, Dan, for this gem of a review. He says the Musa Dembele of dot 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 which I think he was saying Musa Dembele of Spurs podcast as the title. Much like the big man, perfectly balanced, in depth analysis, without being dry, good humoured chemistry without getting too blokey, all topped off with the ideal attitude towards Spurs, overwhelming cynicism with a healthy undercurrent of misplaced hope. You never answer my questions, but they are always rubbish, so I'll forgive you for that. The best Spurs podcast, without a doubt, standing up for Ndombele, Good Football and Nathan's atrocious hair choices when no one else will. Great review. I mean, what can we say? That's a great review, isn't it?
1: That's us. There were, there were, there were some other good ones as well, but that one, that one stood out for me.
0: It was close. There were some other excellent reviews. Thank you to everyone who um, reviewed our podcast. It's very much appreciated. Uh, so where do we start? Southampton, 5-2. Wow. Um, <laughs> Do we, I mean we usually start with the team selection and our response to the team selection, mm-hmm. so let let's go with it. Bardi, what did you think? And Don was in, Alderweireld was out, Delhi was out of the squad entirely.
2: Um had been out concerned, neither Delhi I would like to start, but I was very happy to end on Bele start guy as well. I thought I thought he kinda of deserved it after the Cameo against Everton, changing the game against Plovdiv. And it was great to see him start and even though he struggled, I, I was I was very happy with the team formation. I can't I can't complain about it given the players we had available. How about you, Nathan? What did you think when you saw that
0: team line up?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that sort of sense of like you, you you get one thing you want, and in return, you have to pay the price. It's like the curling of a monkey's paw, as you say, please, <laughs> please find a way to get Ndombele into this team. And the price is Delhi suddenly goes from, uh, you know, a starter game week one to, you know, rumoured away, not starting for two matches, not taken abroad, maybe going to start in a cup game that may or may not actually happen. And, um yeah uh, I, I guess i guess you lean towards the positive there and you say well you know at least we're seeing some
0: Dombolo i hope he has a good game indeed indeed so the match starts two minutes in we see son run through break the uh break the offside trap on the left harry kane scores uh, a fantastic um volleyed sciss- scissor volley mm. i suppose you call it mm-hmm.
1: um roundhouse kick mate.
0: yeah it's ruled out through var what do we think of the decision it was it was inches right
2: yeah it's what it's a it's a minimal decision but we kind of accept it now that it's going to be offside if slightly gone it i think it, it showed up a weakness in the team that we exploited later and it, it gave me hope that that we could get goals in this and even if we fell behind we could we could pull it back just by sheer persistence and chucking two well-class forwards at their at their back
0: line so what happened then was Southampton proceeded to run us ragged for the rest of the half basically yeah they just cut through us with pretty much every attack and we relied on Larice making an absolutely unbelievable save, which I don't think has been spoken of enough, to be honest. The strong hand to to get Shea Adams' shot over the bar was exceptional, really exceptional. Uh, I kinda think any other goalkeeper in that's a goal. Um But what did you, what 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 did you think were the reasons for that, Nathan? Why was Southampton having so much joy against us? So we played the
1: first half in something of a medium block, and um, they found Ings over the top several times. I think that they uh, we couldn't match their intensity at all. Um, we you know we we weren't really uh, contesting. You sound like Jose Mourinho. I mean, yeah, man. The, you know, it was it was um, it was pretty weak. It was pretty poor. Um, it's very clear that yeah, we wanted we wanted that ball over the top to, to Son, and we did get get it just before um, just before half time. Obviously, um, I think I think we wanted to see Ndombélé on the ball in in that ten row and we really struggled to find him. I think he struggled to create space for himself, um, but I think we really struggled to to work the ball to him um, regardless of his own efforts. Um, and then yeah, defensively, just not in a great shape generally.
0: Interesting. So you saw him playing tenro I saw him playing on the left of a three man midfield. I kind of thought that Hyber oh, was playing to the right and Dombele was playing to the left, but their natural tendencies were for Ndombele obviously to be a bit higher and Hueybier to be a bit lower. But you saw it as a sort of four two three one shape, did you? Uh
1: yeah, I'm pretty pretty confident with that, Reed. Let me let me okay. see if I can find a heat map or something to have a look for it myself. I felt well, the same.
0: I th- I thought Endobelli
2: was quite clearly playing central. Um I think a lot of our problems come with um our inability to defend the second ball on a set piece. So that Shea Adams chance came from us failing to clear the ball and then pick up on the second ball. The Gineppo strike where he hit the post, once again us failing mm. to deal with set pieces properly. I think I think it's a major issue issue that we that we're facing and if the goal against Everton was from a set piece and I ne- I have never seen the goal that we conceded away in the Europa League but I I've heard that's from a set piece as well so I think there's something going wrong there which which needs addressing because we're giving up too many too many kind of high quality chance set pieces
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what was interesting to me was that Southampton were having lots of joy with their the interplay of their strikers. Shea Adams was dropping off and, and filling the hole and holding the ball up and finding Danny Ings, which is ultimately exactly what we did in the second half. Sure, yeah. uh, but they were doing it, I guess, a bit closer to our goal because we were playing a, a lower block than Southampton were, uh, which in some senses meant we were able to defend the situations better. But in other senses, it meant they were getting shots away, often from long range, but they were getting shots away. And, and they did look really good good. They look really effective, they were pressing us well, they looked dominant in midfields their fullbacks were, were bombing on, and, and you know Walker Peters got the assist for, uh, for the Ings goal, and I thought him and Bertrand were both a threat in the first half and, and looked good. However, um, that was a downfall in the second half, right? I, I just
2: want to highlight one thing that I think Eric Dyer. I think I don't think he can start for us anymore because that was a very simple pass. It wasn't like Carl Walker Peters picked it up and curled it around the line, or or Danny Ings did anything more complicated than just run straight forward. Dyer totally lost the flight of the ball totally lost where Ings was Davinson comes hering over to try and rescue the situation but Ings is just too smart and clever for those two and he catches Lloris out completely and it's, it's, it's carbon copy the goal we conceded there last year except that time it was Alderweireld who got who got done by Ings maybe that was perhaps the reason behind um, dropping Toby for this game but I just think it's a very simple pass and I, I just think die is looking like he it takes too long to get his kind of feet in position and move where he needs to move And and, and also I thought his distribution out of the back was awful his distribution Winks' distribution and it's no surprise that belli was starved With we were unable to get him the ball because there was just nothing coming out of the, out of the back line
1: well uh, if you think that Dyer should be out of the team, I've got bad news about where he sits in Mourinho's rankings of centre backs. Mm. Um, I think he's probably considered first choice. I think he's probably considered the only centre back who can play on the left yeah. at the moment. So uh, I don't think you're going to see Eric Dyer out of that defence anytime soon, I'm afraid.
0: I certainly agree with Bardi that the centre backs were severely lacking for Spurs in that first half, and we hugely missed out of the mm.
1: There was a bit where, sorry to interrupt, that Dyer and Sanchez both challenged for an aerial against Danny Ings at the same time and both lost out and I thought yeah. that's probably not great.
0: Yeah, I remember that exact moment too. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, they weren't helped by the fact that the man playing as our deepest line midfielder is Harry Winks who, as we've said many times, sure. has qualities, has abilities, is very good at keeping the ball, but in this kind of system, he is quite unsuited to playing as the six and Mm. i thought it really showed in the first half and you know my my thoughts were why not just switch and winks because you're getting a much more solid defensive player in Bier sitting then and and winks can do this this shuttling and scuttling if that's even needed to be honest um what he did do was at half time uh he took off in dombele which we, we later found out was a pre-agreed uh, decision, which actually I think makes a hell of a lot of sense because he's fresh back and I really like that decision. I think it's, it's fine. At the time, I was, I was furious, gutted... Everything, all, all the bad emotions, um, Bardy. What was your response to Ndombélé coming off?
2: Well, yeah, I, I was surprised because obviously we don't know, we didn't know what that has been pre-agreed. But I mean, if you're going to take off Ndombélé and replace him with Giovanni Lo Celso, it it's okay. You know, I'm not getting too upset. If you're taking him off and replacing him with Lucas Moura, then it's a problem. But I could, it, it made sense. He he has started finally playing minutes, and uh, we did have a really congested fixture list, so it made sense. He was on. He had a crucial impact on on the goal. He done something which was noteworthy, which is great, and yeah, Leselso added something extra to us. He doesn't have the same skill set, but he is also a great player, so it wasn't like a huge, um, huge dent to our overall talent.
0: Nathan, what did you think at halftime? What were you? What were your kind of? Overriding thoughts.
1: Yeah, no, I was, I was kind of in a uh, a not dissimilar kind of mentality, it, it, you know, frustrated. I, I, it kind, of, it makes sense as a prepared thing. I guess it's just like the the whole thing with Ndombélé last season. And it's easy to simplify and just say, oh, he was bad. But the thing last season was that again and again and again he would come onto the pitch at sixty minutes <laughs> and greatly improve our game. Mm. And after doing that two or three times in a row, he'd get a start and you'd be excited. And then he'd start the game and he'd play like shit and then he'd be subbed off at half time and you go well I can't really argue with that substitution he was terrible I guess he can only play 30 minutes whatever um, so when he has a first half okay he was quiet he didn't hustle to get onto the ball very well he probably could have done more defensively but he had that b- real moment of brilliance you you think oh good things are finally starting to come together for Ndombele and he gets subbed off and that's going to cause frustration but I think mm-hmm. if you if if we accept the story that it was a planned and move um it makes more sense in terms of fitness and rotation huge number of games he's got a strapping around his knee going on all of that kind of stuff um and I thought that Lo Celso played well in that sort of 10 slash advanced member of a three kind of situation as well
0: so uh, what we said on that then what do the heat maps tell you
1: uh kind of inconclusive really it, okay. it's it's sort of that it's a bit of a midway point between a three and a and a 43 one which i guess yeah. is why we're both seeing it two different
0: ways yeah 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 uh, yeah yeah I, I i think that's probably it, it could be situational it could be by design i don't know it's difficult to tell um so obviously, Lacelso comes on and almost instantly makes everyone who complained about a substitution look foolish because mm-hmm. he, he has an amazing bit of play where uh, he he picks up the ball, he holds a man off, he finds Harry Kane through the lines, and Harry Kane plays in and he scores his second is that that was the goal where he overhits the pass a bit or was that, was that the first one no the second one was a really good pass yes yeah, or it's the first goal where he overhit the pass at
1: all I'm afraid there were simply too many occasions where Kane assisted Son to be able to differentiate
0: right <laughs> I know it did feel like that I mean yeah, we'll come on to that partnership because <laughs> my word but um, when we scored that our second goal and then suddenly the floodgates seemed to open and every time we went forward we seemed like scoring what were your overriding thoughts Buddy, is it were you thinking, you know, I fully expected this to happen at some point, or were you were you shocked by what was going on? No, of course not.
2: I, I you're not gonna
0: expect that we're gonna
2: turn it that well, that we're gonna turn the game that much. I expected us to get chances, Southampton were giving us opportunities, but I, no, I didn't expect I didn't expect Jose to pull off a master plan quite like that. Long live Jose, what a man, what a manager.
0: So basically what he did <laughs> was he, he asked Kane to drop into the 10 area and play balls in behind the Southampton. And defense, knowing that their fullbacks were pushed up in that system, and to me, it really reminded me of how we played against Liverpool under Pochettino, hmm, where yeah. we we frequently saw Klopp use Salah and Mane to do exactly the same thing in behind our fullbacks. I remember Ben Davis having an absolute nightmare in mm-hmm. one game in particular. It felt familiar. It felt like that. It felt like we'd we'd done a you know they they were outstanding Southampton in the first half with their pressing. We waited for the press to wear off a little. We took hold of the game and then we started piercing them over and over and over again. Death by a thousand cuts. Um, body uh, you've got your hand up. Are you going to sing Jose, Jose Mourinho's praises again? Because I don't think I can, I don't think I can bear it.
2: <laughs> no, but I mean, withdrawing the main... If you've got a front three, withdrawing the main guy, getting him rolled deep like Firmino, and then you've got the two strikers running either side of him, yeah. perhaps we're seeing what we're going to play when Bale comes in. Because it's incredible we managed to do that with a front three that was essentially a front two because Lucas was just non-existent. But you you saw when Lamella came on, and I, d- I don't rate Lamella as a, as a kind of... Very good attacking player, but if Lamella, Son, and Kane looked incredible, now replace Lamella with a better player like Bale, and then all of a sudden you've got a front three that can play as a three or play as a two, and it's quite flexible. So it's, I don't think this is something that Mourinho is, has planned or something he's thought about. I think it's just something he's just happened upon because we know that Kane is is more than able to play that number ten role. And but I don't know if long term if Kane will be happy with Son collecting loads of goals and him having to scrape around for one or two here here and there, because Kane, he wants those goals, he wants those stats, you know?
0: I feel like um, Kane started enjoying things even more once they made their change. Um, yeah. From memory, they took off Romeo and Romeo. put on Smallbone.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: And and so that meant naturally they were playing with a, a more forward-focused midfield and Kane was finding more and more space. So it was kind of the opposite move to what Hasenhutl perhaps should have done in hindsight and we profited over and over again from that. Um, Son and Kane are just ridiculous so they've combined for more Premier League goals than any other combination any other duo since Son arrived in England in August 2015 24 goals absurd but they're both elite players and they play close to each other so I guess it's not that surprising uh, that their, their partnership is obscene though Nathan why are they so good together
1: uh, I mean, yeah, it's all there. You know, um two very good players consistently playing alongside each other. They're gonna they're gonna notch up those those um, circumstances to create for each other and they're going to develop uh, a certain um, telepathy um, you have like you know the winger who can also make diagonal runs inside and score, you have the the big number 9 who can also drop off and be a number 10 and there's some really good sort of archetypal um, coming together there where they can take in turns to play the supportive role to one another um, but I think that if you match any good player with Harry Kane or mm. even any good player with Sun you're going to start to see results mm. you know before it was Kane and suddenly it was Kane and Delhi and that was a huge thing for a long time and I think that they had probably a higher rate of return over a shorter period you know think about the 15-16 and then 16-17 season that was something a huge combination going on there um, <clears throat> be interesting to see what the, the kane Bale partnership might look like in, in the near future
2: if um, if you look at that top five partnership from August 2015 Kane and Delhi and Kane and Ericsson are in there as well so you could see that there's a there's a, a common factor a common thread in it, and that is Kane that's just how
0: good he is so speaking of how good he is i th- i feel like it would be remiss to move on without talking about that one particular pass that he played from out the right flank where he's facing the touchline i don't know if he has a look i need to watch it again i'm not sure if he has a look to see where son is but what he does is i mean i don't think there are many players in the premier league that could play that pass i don't maybe none maybe no other players in the premier league can play the pass that Kane plays so perfectly he is facing the touchline, not far from the touchline, and he he manages to swivel and get enough power, curl, perfect weight on the pass to land it into Son's path. It is absolutely unbelievable. Um, I, I could—it's the kind of pass that I could just watch over and over again, and kind of just summed up his game for me. He was immaculate, and Son you know scored four goals, but Kane was our main man in that, in that match. He he was a difference.
2: He he has done that pass before. He did that exact same pass. Maybe it was to Sun or Delhi against Bournemouth when we're playing at Wembley. I'm pretty sure there's a carbon copy goal exactly the same as that.
1: Similar one for Sun as well against Liverpool um, at Wembley. Yeah. Uh, I for one am looking forward to the fifth season in a row of articles about has Harry Kane reinvented himself as a number ten instead of oh a number god. nine. Oh my god! You know they're coming once every year like clockwork, mate. <laughs>
0: you're so right and uh, before we move on um, Nick Gilbert we've kind of we've kind of done this to an extent but I think it's it's worth um, worth going a bit deeper Nick Gilbert says I know you'll be analysing Ndombele's good attacking work in the first half and his vital role in the first goal but can you please analyse his defensive work as well it looked to me like Southampton's threat was greatly reduced without him on the pitch albeit maybe they gave up was there a defensive improvement in midfield and is that backed up by the stats what I'm asking is did we get better because he wasn't putting his weight defensively any thoughts. I don't think it's unfair
1: to suggest that he was sort of low effort, low energy, not doing a huge amount of defensive work. Certainly not doing a, a pressing work, although we didn't press as a team really uh, or at all uh, in the first half. So or throughout actually. Um, so like it's it's. I'm not saying that Ndombélé uh, was good defensively, uh, but. Um, there was a significant defensive change between the two halves, which is that we sat deeper in the second half, um, which gave Southampton so much less room in behind for Ings to work with, mm-hmm. um, less time on the ball to pick out passes from sort of a third of the pitch away. And then they became more and more fragile on the counter as they tried to push on and, 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 and force it harder and, and then got turned again and again. So uh, Ndombele wasn't good defensively, but it, it's I don't think there's, a di- there's much of a direct relationship between um, him going off and us as a team getting much better defensively in the second half. I think it's more of a tactical thing than a personnel thing.
0: Mm -hmm. What did you think, Bardi? Yeah, I think
2: flattening our back four as well, getting rid of the wonky and making Doherty into more of a kind of traditional right-back help. Um, I there, is, there was one moment with Endombele in the first half where he spun away from a tackle, moved the ball and he, he hit a beautiful pass out to the left-back and Ben Davies. And I just had visions of, of if it was on picking up that ball and just mm. going with it and said Ben Davies, checked back and passed it back to Davinson. So um, I think I think there's more to come with um Ndombele as we build the team around him and put players alongside who are are also good footballers.
0: I'm going to disagree again on our shape. I didn't think we played lopsided fullbacks in this match. I thought we went with the traditional back option, which led to me believing that we're preparing the ground for uh, our new boy. Yeah. Which is good. You know, I, I can't argue with the logic. Okay, I guess we will move on and talk about Plovdiv. Um, this might not take that long. I mean, the, the most notable thing, the two most notable things about the match probably were the fireworks and the poor quality uh, broadcast. <laughs> This was a Banter FC Europa League classic. We were awful. We were absolutely awful for the majority of the game. We went one down, and then with a few minutes to go, there's a handball on the line. A player gets a second yellow for scuffing the penalty spot. Suddenly, we're playing nine men, and we look amazing. But there, I mean, there, there is one thing that is worth talking about, which is Ndombele kind of transforming our uh, our performance. Body, did you did you did you catch this one, or did your uh, did your stream go? down as well.
2: <laughs> Um, after this match I had to um, re- uh, re- reset my computer from a previous restore point because of the dodgy websites I was watching the streams from it completely <laughs> killed my uh, immediately after that game my processor memory started running at 99% on everything and I couldn't do anything so uh, yeah it really destroyed my computer but you're right it was one of those um, banter games where you could just see us losing and would never live it down but we turned it around uh, they, were, they were that was the worst football team I've ever seen and I, I I think I said to somebody Ndumbele will come on and just run through these guys like the farmers they are because that's all they were. that's all they were and I can't believe the shame that we conceded a goal to these guys. Yeah, uh, it's it was awful. It was absolutely awful and it did make me question I I was nearly Mourinho out during that match. But we got through. So and now we're off to um we've won a trip to Macedonia, which is great. It is Lovely amazing how
0: it. results can change perceptions. Yeah. It now goes yeah.
2: down as a footnote as a funny game. Oh, remember when we played Plovdiv instead of Jesus! One of the worst when, games we've ever played. In, yeah, uh, <laughs> Do you remember when Mourinho's career died against Plovdiv?
1: To um to play that badly and come away with one the win and two most people having not seen any of it or much of it at all <laughs> is such an incredible, incredible sort of stroke of luck. Uh, I did find our our tattoo so this was like the day after the Bale and regulon news broke and we immediately into this game played a 433. Mm-hmm. Um Played with two attacking fullbacks. Um, played Hoybier as the deepest midfielder. Yes. Um, had him move out left in possession to cover the space behind Ben Davies. Yeah. Uh, something I've said before about Davies is like, he, it's not that he's not an attacking fullback. It's not that he's a defensive fullback. He's good in the final thirds. He's good in the defensive third. The problem is him having the um, athleticism to constantly be going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So putting Hoybier sort of behind him and letting him sit a little further up the pitch, I think works well there. Uh, Le Celso looks good. No one else did until Ndombele came on, really. Um... I have seen the goal that we conceded, and one of the lucky few who have managed to see the goal that we conceded really, really bad from Davinson, who just sort of is possessed by a satanic spirit temporarily and <laughs> does some sort of weird aerial attempt meters, several meters away from the ball, as a as a Plovdiv forward is able to pick up a free header at a corner. Um, yeah, <laughs> I
0: don't know what else more there is to say about that game. It was it was pretty ugly. It was pretty ugly, but uh, we got we got the win. And We're through. We're through to the next qualifying round. They'll be in the bag. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, so next up, we're going to talk about this this email from Alex. I'm going to say it's Chin Cotter or Sin Cotter. Apologies, Alex, forgot your name wrong. He said this is a question mainly for Windy, but I'd also like to hear the others' opinions. Do you feel like we're getting too big, and do you feel less connected with the club recently? He says I saw Windy's tweet during the Saints match, and I couldn't help but agree. From the start of the season to most recently, I feel like this isn't the Tottenham I know, and this is and is my club. I'm going to read that again. From the start of the season to most recently, I feel like this isn't the Tottenham I know and is my club, and I think that's down to a lot of factors, such as the uncharacteristically, uncharacteristic spending of last year, the style of football we're watching, and the enormous presence of Jose. For some reasons, it all feels a bit unsettling. Perhaps it's also the reason why we're seeing the undoing of Poch's work right before our eyes. It just feels like we're changing in a big way. would love to hear you guys' thoughts. So, full disclosure, I had... um I have quite a strong reaction to the to the Southampton game. And I think yes. I, I need to caveat that this is a, a very personal thing to me. And the only reason I mentioning this is because we had a direct question about it. And also I had a lot of tweets and DMs from people who were relating to my tweet about my current disconnect with, with this Spurs team. So... Currently, I'm going through quite a difficult time personally with some family illness and it's, it's not great. I'm going to be honest. It's, it's not a lovely time. And I've got a lot of pressure at work as well. And in the past, this is where spurs have kind of really helped me out. And, and the escapism, distraction, being able to enjoy spurs with, with friends and family has been, has been lovely. It's been just a tonic. And when I feel like I need Spurs most, um, they're not they're not delivering for me at the moment. And on reflection, I think there are a few different reasons for that. So, so one of those things would be the stadium. And I appreciate that the stadium was a hugely exciting thing for everyone. And I was excited too about going to the new stadium. But I really miss, I really miss the old White Hart Lane. Like all of my childhood memories of going to Spurs are associated with that place. I love it. I loved it dearly. And the new stadium brings with it a new new form of football, a new... A new way of experiencing football that's that's not in line with my values, and that's that's something. So the other thing is is COVID and the, and the kind of behind closed doors matches and not having fans there. It doesn't feel real. It feels somehow artificial. It feels like I'm watching a film of a football match, mm. which leads me onto a documentary, <laughs> which left me feeling. I think bardi summed it up absolutely beautifully in our last episode about it. It wasn't my Tottenham that I was watching on the screen and. And whether that was the Amazon Duck version of Spurs or whether that is really Spurs, I didn't like what I saw and it made me feel a bit sad about about my beloved club. And then finally, our manager. And, you know, everyone, everyone who's listening knows that I struggle with Jose Mourinho. I've not made any secret of that. Uh, I, I struggle with him even more after watching the documentary. I struggle with him even more after what's happening with Delhi now. Uh, that's just, I find it upsetting. Um... I struggled with him interrupting Son's interview to say that Kane was man of the match Yeah, um, and I struggled with the most recent comments about you know Kane playing every game uh, but basically again his values don't align with mine we've come through this period where we've had this amazing manager in Pochettino who I felt the most incredible connection to and made me feel this connection to my team and, and moving on from that to such an extreme opposite version has really impacted on, on the way I connect with Spurs and I'm having a bit of a rough time with it. The, the, the thing I, I feel like I need to to do to get beyond it is to start, and this sounds strange from someone who's interested in this, but to start just looking at things coldly in a kind of a cold analytical way and not engaging with with feelings too much until I get more used to what I'm experiencing I will say that um, I'm feeling a hell of a lot better the last couple like I felt really bad on Sunday that Spurs I just didn't I felt so disengaged from Spurs I felt a lot better on Monday today Tuesday I've watched the match of the day and I actually enjoyed the goals which I didn't do on Sunday hmm. uh, also my favorite my favorite band released their new album this afternoon Fleet Fox's album was streamed and then released and I had a lovely lovely time listening to that which Really helps, uh, but but there we go. That's that's how I'm feeling. Um, anybody? I mean, I imagine you're feeling quite differently to to me, judging by our previous conversations and the fact that you are a certified trophy nonce. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tell tell me what you're experiencing.
2: I think I completely agree with how you're feeling I well I, I, I think you need to realign things is when you look to Tottenham or any other football club unless you're perhaps you're Juventus or uh, Barcelona or something like that when you look to Tottenham to kind of dig you out of a hole they're never going to do that because it's Tottenham Hotspur and we <laughs> don't win all the time so I think your first thought is looking to Tottenham <laughs> to cheer you up because they don't they don't do that for a lot of us and but I do see why you can feel disenfranchised with the club I do as well that um, version of I'm Amazon, what Tottenham showed us what Amazon showed us about Tottenham I now disregard that that's not my it's not my football mm. club that is something mm. that they put out there and something that people have feel. If there are people who've had the opposite connection they've seen that mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden they feel tied to Tottenham which is a kind of kind of what they wanted Pochettino moving on is sad Pochettino not achieving what he should have achieved is sad Jose Mourinho coming in is sad because obviously like you guys I would have preferred someone who a Hassenthal or um, Nangelsmann or Anybody, someone who had a, a someone who played the way that I like to see football being played, but for as long as Jose's at the club, I will continue to support Tottenham, I'll continue to enjoy Tottenham winning. I just perhaps won't take them, I don't know, I just won't take it as, as, as serious, but then I can't because I still love Tottenham Hotspur. And my undying love for Tottenham Hotspur unfortunately kills my opinion sure. of whoever's manager that I will continue to support this club until Jose pushes me off the edge, and he nearly did against Plovdiv, but until he pushes me off the edge, I will continue to be happy when he manages to churn out results and scoring five goals away at Southampton, regardless of a lack of a a plan of of football that I enjoy, it's still something that I can take pleasure from and I will continue to take pleasure from us scoring lots and lots of goals.
0: I I think you're quite right to point out that lots of people will have been switched on to the club by the documentary and lots of people really did enjoy what they saw and enjoyed Jose being centre stage and you know his his charismatic self that that's definitely and that's completely legitimate i think this is a very personal personal thing and it's 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 my issue it's it's not spurs necessarily it's it's me Nathan, how about you? How are you feeling about things? Um, I find the the uh, the comments about our expenditure uh, from Alex really interesting.
1: I remember going through a thing years and years ago with Spurs, um, where like, yeah, I definitely, and I don't, I guess I'm not alone. Uh, certainly at the time, I definitely took a lot of pride about us being this sort of low spending underdogs, fighting our way up, not being one of these, you know, um, billionaire, trillionaire funded outfits, and then like. Like I said I think we <coughs> I think we bought Clint Dempsey I don't know why that was like a trigger point for me but it was the idea of like buying like a name from another Premier League club or something and i I did feel a sort of a strange uh sort of said that that was an alienation there that that wasn't that wasn't us that wasn't right we should be buying obscure 21 year olds from league one or whatever and 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 doing things that way but like i don't know it came around we we still you know eventually we'll have another summer where we just don't buy anyone again and (laughs) we will we we make a profit for our owner (laughs) every year so like i don't know i i do actually weirdly get that i think that's just a a small phase you go through but i think to have that at the same time as getting the sense of alienation that yes I'm definitely getting having Jose Mourinho at a club I think that he is at odds with the principles that at least within myself I have injected into our club Mm -hmm. uh so I, I get it, I get it. I just um, it comes around eventually, you know, and it's okay. Like you're not like a traitor uh, if you take a small step back from the club for a while. If you if you're if you're a little more casual with things for a couple of years, because it comes around. Um, the club isn't over because Mourinho is there. You can be frustrated, you can be annoyed, you can feel a little distance. You have other hobbies and, and things to pursue, and um, he won't be here forever, and we won't have other things you dislike like about us going on forever, these things they come back. I
2: think I think Wendy, you should just take the joy in the things that are there to take the joy from. You can still take plenty of pleasure from um Harry Kane. There's still so much to love about Sun. There's yep. some really exciting players, man. Like Le Celso, he's young, he's exciting. He's Argentinian. you got <laughs> Endon end on young French, exciting. Region, we've got Gareth Bale back. There's there's so much, there's so many good things about the club. I wouldn't let um a middle aged man who tries to steal the show at every party, take that away from you. He's he's that guy in the office, you go to a Christmas party and he tries to like hog the dance floor and tell all the big banter jokes by the bar. Just just ignore him and enjoy your colleagues at Tottenham Hotspur who were there to make your life nice. There's a lot of good things to be excited about, so just just try and ignore him. It's You can easily ignore Jose, even though we have to talk about him a couple of times a week and do loads of really, <laughs> really
0: good Patreon content about him. But there's still nice things to enjoy. So I think a lot of people felt what I'm feeling- now when Tim Sherwood was manager. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think people really went through it then. And the reason I didn't was because he was playing some of the youth players, which I'd really enjoyed <laughs> seeing play the previous two years. Like... Nabil Benteleb, who I was really excited about was suddenly like a mainstay in the team so I, I was like wow this is incredible I've got this connection with the team and everyone else is thinking yeah. I feel completely disenfranchised by this yeah. dickhead Tim Sherwood who's a caretaker and he's making us look stupid it's funny isn't it how everyone just uh, appreciates things in slightly different ways and experiences things in slightly different ways anyway I mean I'd be really interested to hear from our listeners how they're feeling whether they are switched off or switched on by what's happening at the club whether they just want to get a trophy and, and believe that Jose Mourinho could be the man to deliver that or whether they're like me experiencing a sort of disengagement to so let us know email us podcast at the extra UK or Twitter at the extra inch. it'd be great to hear from you
1: I think probably a majority of fans absolutely do just want a trophy by any means and for that reason they're happy with Jose Mourinho and I think probably your real alienation comes not so much from the club and the actions of the club but your disagreement with those fans Um, but I just think that you both have a completely valid and reasonable interpretation of your fanhood and the values and the football that you like to see uh, and that you know you can you can disagree on, on how you want your football club to approach the world of football and, and it's fine and you're you're both still real legit football fans. This this on this ever ongoing oh, thing gosh. that certain people aren't real fans or you know, <sighs> whatever. Yeah. You the only person you need to persuade is yourself and and it's very easy. You know how many games you watch, you
0: know how much you've sung and all of the rest. You're doing fine. So to jump from one quite sort of deep and meaningful topic straight into another. Uh, we got we got this email, which I I thought was a fantastic email, and it, it chimed with me. And you'll see why when I read it. It's it's quite long, but I'm going to read it verbatim because I think it I think it's worth that. It's from OJD. He says, may I please ask a couple more serious questions than usual for the podcast on something I felt after the Amazon documentary. I know football is viewed as a different industry with special dispensation for behavior brackets we don't want footballers charged with assault for tackling for example, close brackets but how far should we allow this? I'm specifically referring to the use of language by the coaching staff. In a normal office environment, you simply can't talk in terms of having balls being cunts etc etc. Yet it's all over the Amazon documentary. The language is very old school masculine and And whilst not for a second am I accusing Jose and his staff of being sexist or homophobic brackets, I genuinely don't think he holds such views quite the opposite, close brackets the language has a sexist and homophobic undertone to it. Historically language such as being a real man, etc has had other implied meanings In modern football, with the drive for a more inclusive environment for the LGBTQ LGBTQ plus community and a greater focus on mental health, well-being and management of addiction, is there a risk that players don't want to hear this sort of language anymore? Perhaps this is why Jose has struggled with some players in the modern game Perhaps I'm being a snowflake and making more out of it than it is brackets, I'm sure Dyche, Big Sam and even Pep and Klopp use such language too, close brackets, but it just struck me that Levy is generally such a straight shooting businessman living in the modern business world and I question whether it's a good look for Spurs with 2020 sponsors business partners etc to have a manager speaking in such a manner. Brand association is a big thing these days and many view the C word as being highly sexist and even homophobic. On a a wider but related point to read the Amazon documentary, have you been surprised by the lack of applied psychology within the club huge medical department facility but i didn't see much at all relating to mental health management brackets seems the medical doctors were given that responsibility covering given the responsibility of covering that during covid close brackets and sports psychology etc you alluded to it in one podcast i remember if the problem is mentality then just get psychologists involved but i found the lack of sports psychology a club counselor mental health coverage etc very surprising for such a club that likes to present itself as ultra professional in the modern football world thank you ogd for a, a brilliant email is really um, thought-provoking for me. Um, I'm intrigued to hear Nathan and Body thoughts. I'll just I'll touch on that last point myself um, very briefly first, if that's okay. In that, I feel we're missing a trick here with with the psychology elements. You know, we we have so many different roles at the football club. We have nutrition nutritionists, we have physios, we have doctors. Why do we not have a psychologist that works permanently with the first team squad and is in the dressing room as a hype man before the game, saying hmm. all the right things to get them in? the mood I mean maybe that does happen and we just didn't see it but it certainly didn't seem to me that there was a psychologist there so we were instead relying on, on Josie Mourinho's sort of A-level psychology techniques in, in team talks that seems like a, a fairly obvious innovation that would be really helpful um, but Nathan and Bardi I mean who wants to go first there's a lot to tackle there go on Nath
1: I know that you are. You, uh, you've struggled with the constant reference to balls, etc., and you, you you observed as much uh, during our watch long episodes. Um, I I, co- I get it. I, I completely get it. I understand how um, these sort of focuses on masculinity um, can be derisive. Uh, how there's this sort of air of, of sexism about it. To say that to conflate masculinity with goodness <laughs> with quality is mm. to dismiss the values. Uh that you might wrongly or rightly more typically associate with women and all of that kind of stuff. I completely get it. Um it's just not something that bothers me very much. Um which doesn't mean that that, that it shouldn't be there that I'm sort of the arbiter of, of moral values or anything like that. I just um I don't think it bothers the players. I very much doubt there are there are very many players who are bothered by it. Um I don't I don't really I don't see it as immoral, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to get at. Um and these kind of things like this is this is true of uh, the Y word of our club as well these kind of things they take a long time you know Um, I hope that in 10, 20, 30 years, you know, it it will be considered weird and wrong and odd and cringy to mention balls at a football club. I hope that that's true, that we as a club can move on from reappropriating the word years, which I think absolutely we did for for the correct reasons. And and we probably still need today as a protection, as a shield against the the abuse received of the fan club. But eventually these two things, I, I didn't mean to open up a huge discussion about <laughs> that word uh are things that we want to move on from i just think it's something that we probably have to be a lot more patient with i also think that it's interesting to then go- move on from that to then talk about psychology because probably if you have a psychologist in the club um well firstly i think players and people have to manually seek it out themselves you can't allocate someone here is your allotted uh we've decided you're gonna see a mental health practitioner here's your allotted hour go and talk to them because i don't think people will open up in that circumstance i think think they have to request it which means it's more about a culture at large in terms of uh, being more positive about that kind of stuff um but also i think that like um if if Mourinho is talking about balls and then you go and see the the mental health practitioner they will talk about how like you don't need to view masculinity in that way and that can be quite toxic and then there's a, a sort of a uh, a confused message <laughs> coming from the club from two different people. Um, I don't. Know, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think I think a lot. of What Nathan says makes a lot of sense, especially the psychology thing. But you can almost see that Mourinho is doing his own self-hack psychology when he's talking about resilience. These are things that our players should should have. But like Nathan says, you can't you can't force this upon a player. Otherwise, you end up in a situation like in '98 um, uh, where Hoddle was forcing players to go and speak to Eileen Drury and you have players <laughs> like Graham like Ray Parlour who just. completely. Completely... Unable to kind of do this thing, and all it does is end up breaking breaking the confidence of the players, and it ends up being a stick to beat the manager with. I think players should do it; they should definitely go and speak to a psychologist, and improve their game. I think Kane is probably probably someone that you can look to in that confidence that he has in in himself. There was the when he missed the penalty against Liverpool, he had the ability to pick up the ball again and go again and score from that. But in terms of the language, I, I agree once again with Nathan that football just seems to be twenty years behind the rest of society and things that which are now unacceptable with football were unacceptable in real life years ago um I myself go to a game and sometimes I swear too much and I, I say things out loud which I would never I would never walk down the street if I dropped if I dropped my kind of oat milk latte dropped it and screamed swear words it just wouldn't do it but at a football pit at a football match you, you get swept up and it's not correct it shouldn't happen I think eventually some of the language will be toned down because it has to be It it, it is outdated um um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it just takes time. Football is, football's miles behind it, man. We're still, how can there be no um, openly gay players in the Premier League? It's just, mm. it's so far behind the rest of society that in 30 years' time, it will change. Is that good enough? No, it's probably not good enough. Something should be done beforehand. But it's a, as, as you encounter every day on Twitter, it's a, it's a funny world out there with football fans. And it's going to take a long, long time. It's going to take the next generation to, to push this older generation into the sea before things change.
0: Really interesting from both of you. Um, I I really appreciate both of your viewpoints there. I think um, the bit that I'm intrigued by is whether the players care. I'd love to know. I'd love to be a fly on the wall and overhear what they're really thinking about the way they're spoken to by, by coaches. Because... I don't know from from what I know of of Gen Z, and I know these some of these players are a little older than that. But but Gen Z really do care about these kind of values. They're they're you know they're they're known for being God for want of a better term. And I know this is shorthand, but woke and 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 I hate that. So I shouldn't use that word. It's awful. <laughs> it's not appropriate. It came from something completely different. Um, but but players are awake to to all of the isms. Um, and and some of them which are implied by the language used by our coaching staff are problematic and I, and I agree with the point OJD made that um Josie is not homophobic or, or misogynist just because he uses some of these words he, he might be but I don't think the use of these words is evidence of that Um but it's it's so it's proper, like it's old fashioned, it's really old fashioned beyond anything else. That's that's the bit that I can't move beyond. It's it's kind of how I imagine, you know, Sam Annadize to speak on the training ground or Neil Warnock or Tony Poulis, Not not this elite manager who has who's metropolitan he's he's managed at the the biggest countries in Europe and I don't know it just seems at odds with that but but that's um like Barney says that's football football is so far behind everything uh but I th- I think that made a really interesting talking point and, and thank you OGD for opening up in the way you did it was it was really really thoughtful and uh thought-provoking We've got loads of questions to answer, but uh we're gonna do that for our ex subs. So a little reminder, we've we've launched a Patreon. Um if you if you fancy joining our Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. We are releasing lots of content on there, video content, podcasts, a few blogs. Bardi's started work on the newsletter and my god, does it look awesome. <laughs> Very sexy newsletter, I'm loving it already. We've got the Fantasy Premier League, we've got the Discord channels where you can ask questions for the pod and have a NASA with like-minded fans. It's good fun, it's going well. Are, are you enjoying the, uh, the, the Discord channel chat, Nathan?
1: Yeah, good little good little community building there. Interesting interesting little subculture developing in our Discord channel right now. I like that. You Definitely. don't like you don't like that they keep asking me questions and not you, but you know <laughs> you're good. Mate, over
0: it. it is constant. It's like, Nathan, <laughs> what do you think about this? Nathan And me and Bardi sat there. It is in
1: turn. Do you, you like... have a, any thoughts on Soloth, Wendy? <laughs> he's got a big head yeah he does have a massive head to be fair it is um it is the kind of Nathan
2: show behind the <laughs> paywall which is Wendy and I are there but it's all it's all Nathan it's all Nathan and his videos he's getting all the praise we get we've got to fight i got to fight my hardest to get a couple of likes but Nathan just gets a hundred comments just for sitting in front of a green screen and playing some videos
0: <laughs> begrudgingly I accept that he is deserving of all of it totally <laughs> cool but that's the end of the episode You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Do check him out, great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.